Good morning. Today is what we call a family Sunday, which means our kindergarten through fifth grade friends that normally are over in a great worship environment and small group environment over there are joining us in here today. And so we do this service with them in mind. We do it for a couple reasons. One, we like to give those who serve, and thank you so much for those who step up and serve in Next Gen Ministry, but we kind of give a Sunday where it's holiday, spring break, they don't have to travel back. It's to give them a Sunday off. Uh, But it's also, we really believe intergenerational worship is a good thing. And it's not just good for the younger generation, it's good for every generation. We like that. It's impactful. And so one thing we do is I do the message with them in mind, and we have a kid's note-taking page. Hopefully you got one of those when you came in. Kids, and there's a verse with some fill-in-the-blanks, and another thing with fill-in-the-blanks, some things you can color and stuff like that. One of the questions on here is, who's teaching today? My name is Doug. Nice to meet you. Um... But today, if you notice from the kids, kids, if you notice on the kid note-taking page, uh, we're talking about the story of St. Patrick. And uh, kids, I will give you a heads up. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask for some volunteers. And you guys, I only want you to volunteer if you can act out what I describe. So kindergarten through fifth graders, if you would like to come up and act something out, I'll call for in just a minute, and you can come up. And I'll give you several different parts, and you just simply act out what I'm describing. Anyway, we're talking about the story of St. Patrick, and we're not going to act out his story. We're going to act out someone else's, but St. Patrick's story is fascinating. I don't know if you know it, uh, but if you were to Google St. Patrick, what comes up has very little to do with St. Patrick. Uh, it's weird. Uh, his backstory is fascinating. And, uh, and I want you to know it because it's a real parallel for something about the story of these people we see in the Bible, but also our story as well. But St. Patrick actually isn't Irish. He was British. He was English. He was uh, from Britain. And um, his story is fascinating. And I want you to see it because at age uh, 16, his life was disrupted. Um, and I'll let you see it. But there's one type on the video. It says that he was born in 35 A.D., it was 385 A.D., so the people who made that video wasn't us, but we caught it, the top typo, and we wanted to show, tell you he's not 400 years old when he dies. Uh, but th- it was about 400 years after the birth of Jesus that Patrick shows up and is deeply impacted by Jesus. So this is his story. Watch this. St. Patrick was born not in Ireland, but in Britain around A.D. 35. Well, actually, he wasn't called St. Patrick at the time, or even Patrick, but was referred to as Maywin Sukkot. Good thing he changed his name later. St. Maywin's Day just doesn't have the same ring. We'll stick with Patrick, uh, just in case I'm slaughtering that pronunciation. Patrick was quite far from being a saint growing up. Until he was 16, he considered himself a pagan, or maybe even an atheist by today's definition. It was at that age when he was taken into slavery by a group of Irish marauders that attacked his village. Patrick was sold to his master, a druid chief in Ireland, and served him for six years. It was during his captivity that he became a Christian. One day he heard what he described as a voice compelling him in his sleep to leave his master and find a ship that awaited him. He fled to the coast of Ireland and eventually made it back to his home. He then decided to study in the monastery and stayed there for 12 years, during which he decided that his calling was to convert the pagans to Christianity. Eventually, he adopted his Christian name, Patricius, or Patrick as we now know it, and returned to Ireland after being appointed a bishop. Patrick was very successful at winning converts, which upset the Celtic Druids, who had him arrested several times, but he managed to escape each arrest. Patrick traveled through Ireland, establishing monasteries, schools, and churches throughout the land. Eventually, Patrick returned to where he had once been a slave, to pay his ransom to his former master. 
Despite being treated cruelly, Patrick didn't hold a grudge against him. As Patrick approached his master's old homestead, to his horror, he saw that it was in flames. Patrick found out that the stories people told about him had preceded him, and in a fit of frenzy, his old master gathered all of his treasures into his mansion, set them on fire, and then threw himself into the flames. An ancient record adds that his pride could not endure the thought of being vanquished by his former slave. There are a lot of legends surrounding St. Patrick. Some say that he raised people from the dead. Others say that he drove snakes out of Ireland, but since there aren't any fossil records of snakes in Ireland at that time, it's highly unlikely, unless he drove out the fossils as well. Many think that snakes was a metaphor for the conversion of the pagans, meaning that he drove paganism out from Ireland. Green wasn't the original color associated with St. Patrick, it was first blue. It eventually changed, for various reasons, probably because of being used in various Irish flags and how green is associated with Ireland itself. Patrick worked in Ireland for 30 years. Afterwards, he retired and then died on March 17th, in AD 461. There wasn't a canonization process when Patrick died. That didn't come up until the 12th century. He would have been declared a saint by acclamation, and his sainthood approved by a local bishop soon after he died. St. Patrick's Day was originally a Catholic holiday, and still is, but has also evolved into a secular holiday, being celebrated by non-Irish, non-Catholics, and ironically enough, even atheists. Today, when people think of St. Patrick, they imagine a leprechaun in a green jacket, hat, pipe, clover, and a pot of gold. Not a man who devoted 30 years of his life to teaching and helping the Irish. Hopefully you now know a little more about the history of St. Patrick. It's fascinating to me that we, huh, <laughs> sorry, YouTube, went from that story of St. Patrick to what we have today, leprechauns and pots of gold and four-leaf clovers. Actually, the four-leaf clover, he probably, it could be that he used the three-leaf clover to teach about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons the, uh, the, 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 the clover, three-leaf, is linked to him. But it's weird that we got that. But think about this. At age 16, this kid who's not Irish, he's living in Britain, doesn't believe in God, is captured by, they call them marauders, marauders, potato, potato, marado, marauder, whatever it is. The marauders come in, these, these barbarians come in, capture him as a 16-year-old. Who's 16 in the room? Anyone 16? Driver's license, high school, like, he didn't have his driver's license, obviously, because cars weren't invented yet. But you get the idea of that age, whole life in front of you. And then you're taken as a slave and taken over the channel to another country, to Ireland, where he's forced to be a slave to a brutal master, bloodthirsty guy. And the whole island was just a dangerous place. So what he does is what a lot of us do. When life gets difficult, we lean in more and look to more to God. And he looks to God and he leans into God and he starts praying and he develops a deep relationship and a deep faith, even though his life was really rough. And one day as he's praying, he feels like God's telling him, I want you to escape and go to this place where a boat will be waiting for you. He does, and it is. And the boat takes him back home. Well, what he does is different than what a lot of us do. When life is hard, we look to God. When life is easy, we don't always do that. But he was so grateful for what God did for him, for helping him escape. And he was so impacted by having a deep faith and relationship with, with Jesus that he decided, I want to learn more. And I want to give my life to serving God. 
And he did. And then one day, that same voice that he thought was God's, which I think it was, that told him, I want you to escape and go back home. I'm going to provide a way. Tells him now, I want you to go back to a dangerous place and try and convince them to follow Jesus. And he does. Why does he do that? Why does he go back? Two reasons, I think. One, I think he, believes, he believed God told him to do it. And he believed that if God tells you to do it, you should do it. And so he said, God, God's voice has not led me in the wrong direction yet. I will do what God says. So he goes back. The other thing, reason I think he went back is this. I think he was so impacted by what Jesus had done in his life that he had to share it with others. And I think he thought, who needs this? And when he heard God saying, go to Ireland, instead of saying, that's the last place I want to go, I think he thought, that's the place that needs it the most. I'll go. And he did. In all accounts, as he was very effective, there's lots of legends associated with Patrick. There isn't a theory that maybe there were two people named Patrick because some of the stuff was, the timeline's hard to make work at times, but there's no doubt that Ireland knows about Jesus because of Patrick. So the question for us is, who will know about Jesus because of you? And if you're not a Christ follower, let me just explain something, because it, it may annoy you that we talk about sharing our faith with others. Why can't you just keep it to yourself? Here's why I can't. And here's why I hope that we can't. Because one, Jesus has told us to tell others about who he is and what he's done for them. He's told us to do it, just like he told Patrick. And what Jesus has done in my life is so important to me, and it's so good, I can't keep it to myself. That would be selfish. Well, there's a parallel, it's a similar story in the Old Testament, and I want to kind of have this acted out so you can see somewhat what it looks like. Um, so I'm going to need some volunteers from some kids. If you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 7, and if you're raising your hand, just come on up. There's no limit on how many kids I can use today. Come on up. You don't have to, if you're a kid and you want to come on up, just be, be a good actor, okay? Be a good actor. Come on, come on around. You can use the stairs. You can use the stairs. You can use the stairs. That's all right. I didn't know we needed to sign waivers today. That's all right. All right, how many do we have here? All right. Anybody else? Okay, very good. I would like you guys to stand right here. You join them. You guys stand right over here. And then one, two, three, four. You guys stand right in the middle. There you go. And everyone else scoot that way. Now here's what was going on. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we find uh, several things. God originally kind of started this community, the nation of Israel, to be a light in a dark world to show the world what it looks like to love God and to love people and the fact that there is a God who loves them and has a plan for them and is powerful. And so they were supposed to be the example. Israel was. They didn't always do such a good job at that. And I can relate. I don't always do such a good job either. But what happened is eventually, not only did this one nation do a bad job of following Jesus or following God, what they did a lot of times is the kings, and they had some good kings, but they had a lot of bad kings. And a lot of times the bad kings and the people would say, what's going on around us? Let's just be like them. 
What do they worship? How do they behave? How do they live? Let's just be like them. Instead of doing what God wants, let's do what other people are doing and let's just be more like them. But God said, I want you to be unique and different and shine a light in a dark world. And they're like, nah, we'd rather be like them. And it just, it never ended up well when they did that. Well, the guy that was the king at the time, the nation of Israel split. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And the king of the northern kingdom uh, was a guy named uh, uh, if that's for me, just tell him I'll call him back in a little bit. Um, but the guy that was the king in the, the northern kingdom was a guy named uh, Joram, who wants to be the king. He said it first. He said it first, so sorry. <laughs> and it's more comical because <laughs> it doesn't quite fit. Okay. And you guys, you got, you're, the, you're the king, Joram. And you're the people of the city. Now, here's the thing that was going on. God often allowed their enemies uh, to win over the over the king of uh, the nation of Israel. And so, King Joram has his city, and they were what's called they were under siege. And a siege was when you lock up the city where no one can get in and no one can get out. But also, what can't get in is food and water and help. And so, the city was starving. Because there was a siege by this mean-looking marauders, marauders over here, the Arameans. I want you guys to look mean. Arr, look mean. Look mean. Arr, arr. Shake your fist. Arr, be mean. Good actors, good actors. All right. So this is the Arameans. They put a siege on this city. And everyone inside the city is starving so much to the point that they're eating things like donkey heads, a commodity that they were selling, and I'm not sure if it was for fuel or food, but was dove poop. Mm. It got so bad that they were eating people. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. It was bad. And this guy named Elijah, you can be Elijah, come here. Oh, she can, okay. Hey, not everyone wants to be God's messenger. It was a tough job. Elijah has this tough job of coming to the king and telling him, hey, God wants you to come back to following him. And because you're not following him, so kind of act like you're talking to him. Because you're not following him. <laughs> She's going like this. That's good. Because you're not following him, the Arameans are going to do some stuff and you're going to be hungry and everyone here is going to be starving. So you've told him that. Now everyone over here, act like you're starving, like you're hungry. Oh, you're really hungry. Oh, you're really hungry. Okay, very good, very good. So they're really hungry, they're starving. And Elijah says, hey, but by tomorrow, God's gonna deliver you in an unexpected way. And right now you're paying high dollar for donkey head and dove poop. And, but tomorrow, all those prices are gonna come down because there's gonna be food aplenty. And you'll, he's gonna do this so you know God is the one true God and you should always follow him. So meanwhile, outside the city gate, here's the city gate. You guys are on the inside. You're hungry. You're starving, remember? You're starving. Four people that were part of the city that were starving, but were sitting just outside the gate were these four people. These four people were lepers. Not lepers, like, wow, like lepers. Like, it was a, it was a disease where your skin was kind of starting to waste away, and you, were, it was a, you could die from this disease. So these four people were sitting right outside the city gate. Some stand right over here. Face that way. And you're hungry too, just like them. So look hungry. 
and look sick. Yeah, okay, very good. So, so they're, they're hungry and sick, and they recognize we're in a bad spot. And this is what they do. Verse 3. Now these four, there, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. So there's the city, there's the lepers. There's the Arameans who've got them all kind of bottled up and all that kind of stuff. They said to each other, so look at each other. You four look at each other and act like you're talking. Go like this, go like this. Why stay here until we die? All right, that's good, that's good. If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, everyone's hungry and dying. And we will die. And if we stay here, we will, yeah, exactly, we will die. Because we're sick and hungry here, and there we're still sick and hungry. What if they get this idea? And when you're in a rough enough spot, you get real creative, and you're willing to just take a flyer and see what happens. They get this idea. Let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. So put your hands up, like surrender. But you're also hungry. Oh, like this. Oh, you just tell me no? Man. <laughs> Good luck with that. Man, you're strong-willed. Hey, I'm the director. You're the actor, okay? <laughs> Where was I? So, so we're hungry. Ah, oh, but we surrender. So let's go over to the camp of the Americans. If, if they spare us, if they say, ah, oh, we'll let you live. They've got food, so we'll live. But if they kill us, then we die. We're going to die anyway. So they decide we have three bad options. That's the best, worst option. Let's give it a try. They got nothing. They're hungry. They're sick. They're dying. Just like everyone there. They're hungry. They're dying. So they start walking toward the camp of the Arameans. I don't know why we're sneaking, but remember, we're surrendering and we're hungry. Okay, okay. But here's what happened. Here's what happened as they do it. They get close to the camp and it says this. Remember, you guys look mean. Arr! No. And I got to get better help. I got to start paying for actors. All right. At dusk, they got up, went to the camp to surrender of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, here's what happened. The Arameans weren't there. Here's what happened. No one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear, go like this. You're hearing it? The sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they were scared. Look scared. Are you really? You were my best actor last week. I need you. Come on. Look scared. You can be scared. All right, swap out. Here we go. Come on, you're over here. You've been reassigned. All right, understudy. All right. So they hear this sound. There's no army coming. But God causes them to hear the sound of armies coming. So they get scared and they run for their lives. Don't really run because they're stairs. But, but flee, and it doesn't say this in the Bible, but they left and they went back to their seats. They ran away scared and went back to their seats. Don't run, their steps. Go back to your seats. There you go. So the Arameans leave. Because God said, I want to cause them to run so the king will understand, the city will understand who God is. So they approach the camp. This is, oh, no. Okay, here we go. Come over here. 
So they come up to the camp. Everyone's run for their lives. Here's what they do next. Here's what they find. Verse 8. The men who had leprosy, you four, reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents and looked down. And what did they see? Food, silver, gold, clothes. And they found it all. They ate and they drank. They're going crazy celebrating and eating. There you go. Yeah. They're eating. Can you act like you're eating? Act like you're drinking? Okay. Then they, took, they went off. They, there was so much stuff that they go, this is great. Let's hide it. So they took all the, they, they grabbed an armful of stuff. They went and they dug a hole and they buried it. <laughs> and then they went back and got more. And they brought it back and they buried it. And they've got so much stuff, they can't even eat it all, drink it all, or use it all. They're putting on the clothes and they're wearing it. They're having a party. They're celebrating. And all of a sudden, they stop. And I don't know if they looked over and they saw the city of all the people hungry. Or if God just tapped them on the shoulder and said, what are you doing? Or one of them said, what are we doing? Because here's what it says next. They said to each other, what we're doing is not, what's the word? Right. It is not right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. So then they decide they'd go back to the city, carry your stuff to them, say, look what we found. And everyone in the city was happy. Yay. All right, give me a hand. Give me a hand. All right, you guys can go have a seat. I'll take that crown. Thanks. So they say to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. Actually, the way it went after that is a little bit different than the way it wasn't like a happily ever after. They went back and told the city, hey, guess what we found? And they said, we don't believe you. We don't believe you. So they said, let's send out a small search party and if people are hiding to attack them, then they'll die. And so everyone kind of stands and watches them go. They go, they come back, they go, no, it's legit. So everyone goes out and they enjoy it. The parallel of their story to ours, I hope it's obvious. Most of us, if we're honest, would say, God has done so much for me. He's given so much to me. And again, if you travel anywhere around the world, you recognize we're pretty well off. God's given us a lot, but more so, what God has done for us, if you're a follower of Jesus and you recognize who you are before Jesus and who you are because of Jesus, you recognize how much he's done for you and given you. In my life, I see the ways he's changed me and grown me to be more like him. And I'm still a work in progress, but I can see progress. And when I see all of that, and I think about how much God has given me, and I look back and I think about some people kind of like Patrick did, thinking back to Ireland. You kind of come to this point where you go, what I'm doing is not good, right. This is a day of good news because of what Jesus has done for me. I cannot keep it to myself. And so we decide to go back. Ireland knows Jesus because of Patrick. Who will know Jesus because of you? He's entrusted something very valuable to you. And it's kind of out there hidden. 
And it's hidden in a world that says, hey, keep your opinions to yourself, especially about matters of faith or religion. But what we have is so valuable. And it's the answer to so much of what's the problem at the heart of every human and the heart of our world. To keep it to ourselves would be wrong. You know, the question is, why did Patrick go back? It's because God told him to, and what he knew what he had was so valuable that others needed it. But the question for us is, why aren't we going back? Why am I hesitant to share my faith? So the question is, who will have Jesus because of you? Who will know Jesus because of you? Where is it you need to go? Who is it you need to share that faith, your faith with? They said to each other, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. So the question is, what are you doing with the good news? Maybe a question to think about is, who went back and told you about Jesus? Who's the one that told you that, that Jesus loves you and he created you? And even though we walked away from him and put ourselves at the center of our lives rather than him, rather than when we were in deep need, Jesus met that at the cross and he did everything possible to secure a relationship between you and your heavenly father that's made right and made perfect because of what Jesus has done because I am less than perfect. Who was it that told you about that? And aren't you glad they did? See, when you're on the outside looking in, it's always good to have some, someone remember you're out there and to come back and bring that to you. But once you get in, sometimes we take it for granted. I'm good. And I forget about others. And if I'm not careful, I will bask in what I have and forget about those who do not have. And as a Christian, as a Christ follower, there can be a shift in our focus and we can become so absorbed and centered on our own Christian experience, relationship with Jesus, that we forget about others and their need for that as well. You know, for me, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't a Patrick deal where he was a slave and I'm going to go back to them. But I remember when I first became a Christ follower, I had grown up in church, but I believed in Jesus the same way I believed in George Washington, except Jesus was about being religious and George Washington was about being patriotic. And I, I didn't have, I mean, that was the extent of my faith. And I went to church to my parents said I didn't have to, and then I didn't. Anytime they gave me an opt-out, I opted out. And life was pretty crazy for me. And I wish I could go back and do those years over. It was middle school, high school. I wish I could go do those over. But some people went back, some of them intentionally with me, and some of them just, God placed them around me. And I saw what it looked like to live a life following Jesus. And I recognized I didn't have that. So I remember it was, a, it was in the fall of 1987, and I was a junior in high school. And I gave my life to Christ at our football stadium. It was an off night. Nothing was going on there. And I was just up there running and just thinking. And I, I sat down in the bleachers, the top of this one section. I know exactly where it was. And I just said, God, you can have my life. I've made a mess of it. You can have it. And it changed everything for me. Life is still hard. Life is still challenging. I'm still a mess, but I'm a work in progress. But I can see progress. And one of the first things I felt like God wanted me to do, kind of similar to Patrick, is there are people like me who grow up knowing about Jesus but not knowing Jesus. And God wanted me to do something about that. 
And it took me to some pretty interesting places. And one of those places, at one point, I felt like God, God was wanting to have me go and reach out to hockey players. And I did. I did, started with the Lubbock Cotton Kings when they were here just as a volunteer, and then I went on staff with an organization called Hockey Ministries International, and I was a hockey missionary. Patrick went to Ireland, and I went to the world of hockey. And yes, I am wearing green today. It's my Dallas Stars green socks right there. So, I mean, I'm a a hockey fan, so it kind of fits, but I don't play hockey. I can't even skate. And I got put in some very uncomfortable situations of trying to reach someone with the gospel who wasn't very interested. And if they asked enough questions, they would say, You don't even play hockey. You've never played hockey. You can't even skate. It was a very intimidating thing. But I tell you, the most intimidating people for me to ever share my faith with are the people that if I shared my faith with them today, I'd have to see them tomorrow or at the next holiday, the next family gathering. Or they live next door to me and I have to see them when I go out front. Or I'd have to see them the next day in class or our next practice or game or rehearsal or whatever it is. Sharing your faith can be challenging. But I think if you listen to God's voice and you ask him questions, not just like, hey, what's your plan for my life? But what's your plan to use me in the life of others? Which I think is always a great question to ask. God, what's your plan to use me in the life of others? I think for every one of you, if you're a Christ follower, he always has a plan to use you in the life of others. He'll start to put certain people or places on your heart that he wants you to reach. He did that with Patrick. And he did that with me. What if he's going to do that with you? Ireland knows Jesus because of Patrick. Who will know Jesus because of you? 1 John 4, 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God showed up and showed us what love looks like. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God is a God that goes and he pursues and he sends people to do the same thing. And he sends his son into the world to not just tell us about God, but to be God with us and then the God who dies for us on the cross. And then he says, I want you to follow my example. The Apostle Paul said it this way. 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representative. You know what an ambassador is? They represent a country. They speak on their behalf. And how an ambassador lives their life is very important because they represent that country. They speak for that country. And here's how God wants us to speak for him. It's as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, what's his appeal? It's his appeal to give your life to him, to follow him. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What that means is be made right. Reconciled is to make sure it's made right. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? They put it in report card standards. I never had a good report card. This isn't my actual report card, but it could be. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't always make good grades. There's a lot of Fs on here. Uh, I was more of a BC student. Um, college two was my favorite number. It was my grade point. And uh, I was in the top 10% of the bottom half of my class in high school. I'm very proud of that. 
And so I didn't have good grades, but this isn't about academics. What the Bible says is how we live life is none of us live life perfectly. And some of us think, well, I'm a B student. I'm not that bad. It's just a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of disobedience, a little bit of sin. Well, if I was going to feed you something today that just had a little bit of, let's go back to donkey heads and dove poop. I'm going to eat and serve you some brownies. It says there's a little bit of poop in it. Gross. I wouldn't eat that. Be tainted. One of the best examples of why can't God just let kind of good people but not perfect people into heaven because none of us are perfect. Well, if heaven's a perfect place and if we're let in as we are, we just wreck it, right? Then it becomes this mess like we have here on earth. The Bible says we've all failed, that this is our report card. And what Jesus did at the cross is he said, I'll take this and I'll take the punishment for what you've done in life. Your selfishness, your disobedience, your lack of trust, whatever, like whatever it is you've done, lying, anything you've done in life, like it's caused us to be separated from God. This is your report card. But the good news is Jesus said, I'll give you mine, which is perfect. A plus is all the way down. 100, 100, 100, 100. Perfect. He said, what we'll do at the cross is I pay the penalty for what you've done and you can have my grades. My record is now your record. If you've given your life to Christ and said, here, it's gone. He's paid the penalty for that at the, Christ, at the cross. We are reconciled to God. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So this is gone. And this is now... <laughs> This is now who you are. The righteousness, the perfection, the rightness of God. That when he says, let me pull up your records, what he sees are the records of Jesus. It's been credited to your account because you've given your life to him and he's given his life to you. It's the great exchange. And at some point, every every one of us need to decide, am I willing to make that trade? Because for some of us, I don't want to make that trade because I like my life. I like being in charge. It's mine. But Jesus says, well, I'm your creator and I'm your redeemer. I'm your savior. Would you let me be who I, was crea- who I created and designed you to let me be in your life? And for those of us who've made that change and we've said, God, here's my life. He says, you're now a child of God. But there's more room in my family. And I want anyone and everyone to hear that they matter to me and they need me and I've done everything possible to reach them. So we make his appeal for him. We implore people on Christ's behalf that this is what he's done for them. Who do you need to be a Patrick to? Who needs someone that will go to them and tell them about what they believe? But it's not just telling them about what they believe, it's what they found to be true and they know to be true. And as ambassador, you're representing Jesus. So how you live your life matters. And words, or actions speak louder than words, but usually words are necessary. Because this doesn't make sense. Life doesn't work this way. Grace is counterintuitive. Nothing in our world works that way. You get what you earn. You get what you deserve. Isn't it fortunate that God doesn't operate that way? That because of his grace, we get what we don't deserve. And we don't get what we do deserve. And Jesus says, I'm entrusting you with you the most valuable news that this world has. And what we do is we talk about what happened to us, not just what happened then, 
but what happened to us, and we share out of that. Ireland knows about Jesus because of Patrick. Who will know about Jesus because of you? It's a hard thing to do. It is. And sometimes God asks you to do something like this or other things where you go, I don't want to do that. I don't like that at all. What else can I do? But sometimes God says, no, this is what I want you to do. And we hear it and you go, you want me to do what? We're going to talk about a guy um, the next four weeks in the Old Testament named Jonah that God said, I want you to go to people that are worse than the Arameans. These were horrific people. They did horrific things to Jonah's people. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go tell them God, God says, I want you to go tell them I want to forgive them if they will turn their life around. Jonah says, I think I'd rather go on a cruise. I think I'd rather do anything but that. I don't want to do that at all. And his story provides a great example of grace and God's heart of compassion for people. And our world needs compassion. And Jonah is a story of grace and compassion. And I'm excited about spending four weeks on it. We're going to start that next week. Let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to close by reading um, a prayer from St. Patrick, and then I'll add some of my own words. Uh, But let's pray together. May the strength of God pilot us. May the power of God preserve us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the shield of God defend us. May the host of God guard us against the snares of the evil ones, against temptations of the world. May Christ be with us. May Christ be before us. May Christ be in us. Christ be over all. May thy salvation, Lord, always be ours. This day, O Lord, and evermore. God, thanks for the people that you sent to reach many of us, to tell us about who we are apart from Christ, but who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we can be because of that. God, I'm thankful for Gil and Steve and so many other people you put around my life, my parents that were faithful to point me to Jesus, and I'm thankful for Jesus. And God, I recognize that many times what I'm doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and I'm keeping it to myself. God, I pray you would tell me who you want me to go to and where you want me to go and how you want me to live out my faith and speak up about my faith, to point people to you, because it's not about my faith. It's about who my faith is in, and my faith is in you. And I truly believe that every life will be better with Jesus at the center of it. The challenge for me is for Jesus to be at the center, I've got to move out of the way. And that's hard. But God, I pray you would show me what your plan is for how you want to use me and us as a church in the life of others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front. And actors, thank you for acting. <laughs>